Hello, I'm your host, Kathy Chester, and welcome to the Move It or Lose It podcast, a podcast about all things that move the mind, body, and soul. The Move It or Lose It podcast is for information, awareness, and inspirational purposes only. I am not a doctor, and I don't even play one on TV. So please consult with your doctor before making any medical decisions. The views expressed by advertisers, guests, or contributors are their opinions and not necessarily the views of the Move It or Lose It podcast. Can we talk a little bit more about the, um, the, the, I'm going to say it wrong, the pineal gland. Yeah, I presume this question came from maybe someone who saw their MRI report and the radiologist noted that. And so the pineal gland produces melatonin. Mm-hmm. It's involved in initiation of sleep. And, you know, as people become older, it can become calcified. And we can Mm -hmm. see that very easily on CAT scans and MRI scans. Uh, But, you know, it's very common in the general population. It's a well-known benign finding. It's nothing serious, not specifically associated with MS in any way, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. You know, since you sent it to me, I mean, I, I looked into it and I found one article that maybe people with MS produce slightly less melatonin on average and have slightly less calcification of the pineal gland, you know, I, I, but I'm not aware of it having any real significance. Okay. Okay. So for, as far as for you, you're not seeing that, that that's really, that that really correlates. Yeah. I mean, if someone asked me about that, I would say this is just a, you know, a benign finding. It's not specifically related to MS. Okay. You know, it's not like the calcification is caused by MS. This is just something that happens to the pineal gland with aging. Right. And so when that does happen, is there any effect in our bodies that's different from? Well, you know, this study found like less melatonin, you know, production. I mean, maybe that is part of the reason that people with MS have more insomnia and more sleep problems. But I don't think that's necessarily due to anything we see on the scans. Right, right. No, that makes sense. So um, now shifting a little bit, what are the things now we're going, we're already in 2023, which is astounding to me. Every year I get older, I'm like, where'd that year go? So um, what are you finding? What are you most excited about in this year or the next two years, let's say, in things moving along with multiple sclerosis that you're finding that are coming up? Well, you know, the, the treat MS and deliver MS studies, I certainly like to see the results, although I feel mm-hmm. I know what the results are going to be in advance. In terms of new products, I would say mm-hmm. I'm most interested in two major classes of medications. One is the ATA-188 study, which is an immunotherapy against Epstein-Barr virus. Mm-hmm. And there's an ongoing study called the EMBOLD study, which is a randomized trial treatment versus placebo in progressive MS. I think that's a really new, innovative treatment, like nothing we've ever seen before. I don't know for sure it will actually work in multiple sclerosis, but if it did, it would be truly great and maybe offer an effective treatment to people who aren't good candidates for immunosuppressive drugs. And it has implications for other Epstein-Barr virus-related diseases, like lymphoproliferative disorder after transplant or Epstein-Barr virus-related cancers, such as Mm -hmm. Burkitt's lymphoma. Now, we probably won't get a result by the end of 2023, but maybe we'll get some preliminary interim results. I don't know. Yeah. 
The other class of medications I'm really interested in is the Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitors. These are medications that are different from drugs such as Ocrevus, Rituximab, and Casimta in that they don't kill the B cells, but they influence the, the uh, activity of the B cells. Okay. And so they're probably safer in older people with progressive MS. They're probably less likely to cause infections. Okay. And, you know, one thing about progressive MS is there's some evidence that some of the progression may have nothing to do with these types of cells, the B and D T cells, the lymphocytes, they may actually have to do with a slow sort of smoldering inflammation invisible mm -hmm. on conventional MRI within the central nervous system. And so some people, they have this frustration where their doctor is telling them, your MRI looks stable, but they just know they're slightly worse over the years. It right. may be due to a different type of inflammation, inflammation by the innate immune system, such mm -hmm. as the microglia and macrophages within the central nervous system. There's evidence that these drugs have effects on those cells, and maybe they'll even be more beneficial despite being less immunosuppressants. Some examples right. of these drugs include tolibrutinib and mm -hmm. evobrutinib. Do they work or not? Well, hopefully we're close to finding out. Maybe we'll right. find out at some point in 2023. Yeah, that would be um, that would be great. And a lot of my clients are in secondary or progressive, and so they get that frustration that what's what is there for me, and it's it's frustrating when there isn't a lot. And um, you know, again, I, I'm always trying to challenge them with movement and food. What's being put in? And garbage in, garbage out. You know, it's it's what are we are we eating? You know, fast food daily. What are we putting in our bodies? So those kind of things. Talk to me a little bit about. Um, we've heard a lot um, last year about smoldering, and so I get a lot of questions about what does this mean? What's happening in my brain? Um, I think some of it. I want to say the beginning of what I heard was when doctors were doing autopsies. And they were finding activity underneath. Am I correct? Or am I, am I mixing this? Am I mixing studies together? That could happen. I don't know. Well, the, the general phenomenon that we see, the sort of clinical phenomenon, is that people often have progression related to pre-existing deficits. Mm -hmm. You know, so let's say someone has transverse myelitis and they have a lesion on the right side of their cervical spine and they have weakness and numbness on the right side, but maybe they recover and they're doing pretty well and just have a little bit of residual numbness. Let's say that person is a 30-year-old new, newly diagnosed with MS. Sometimes, unfortunately, 30 years later, you know, now the person is 60 years old, they may have they may be on disease-modifying therapy. They may be stable in terms of no new relapses or no new MRI lesions, but they're getting worse. They're noticing more weakness and numbness on the right side. And you know, even though there isn't a very strong correlation between lesions and disability, there is definitely this phenomenon where we see that people tend to have progression, a slow, insidious worsening in areas of prior central nervous system injury. You know, even in people with primary progressive multiple sclerosis, sometimes the disability correlates very well with what we see on MRI, even if they didn't have a known relapse associated with that lesion. So what is happening? Obviously, there's something happening within that lesion that is causing function to get worse. Well, there are a lot of different hypotheses. You know, one could be that the damage to the myelin sort of predisposes the nervous system to accelerated aging later on. 
maybe a young, healthy nervous system is able to compensate for that in injury, get information through those nerve fibers. But maybe later on, there's an energy failure of the cells. The mitochondria are not functioning as well. This is the idea of minding my mitochondria, the book by mm -hmm. Dr. Terry Walls. And there, mm -hmm. there's some evidence for this idea. Uh, maybe there's some degeneration. Maybe the initial disease is more inflammatory. And later on, it's more of a degenerative process, kind of similar to Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's disease, where you're just losing nerve fibers. And we don't really have any drugs that prevent degeneration, even if we stop the inflammation. So those would be the sort of more pessimistic views that right. this is going to be harder to treat. Mm -hmm. But the more optimistic view is it's still an inflammatory disease. It's just mm -hmm. the inflammation is of a different type that's mm -hmm. behind a closed brain, blood brain barrier. So if right. I give you Lymtrata and I kill your lymphocytes and your blood and your bone marrow, it doesn't matter because those microglia and those macrophages are already in your spinal cord. They're sitting there. The drug doesn't get there. It doesn't act on those cells anyway. But maybe if we find this new target, we can intervene on it. So that's sort of right. the optimistic view that progressive multiple sclerosis is still an inflammatory disease. Yes. How do we know that? Well, we know based on autopsy studies mm -hmm. that we can see those cells within lesions that seem to have some activity. And more recently, on certain types of multimodal imaging, very specialized PET scans, we can see signs of this innate immune system inflammation. Now, obviously, an autopsy is not going to help, you know, someone right now. And, <laughs> right. you know, frankly, even these multimodal imaging studies aren't going to actually help an individual person with MS, but they'll help us understand that this drug could be effective. But, right. you know, just like uh, with the elizanumab, you know, we have to do the clinical trial to find out if it actually sure. works. Right, right. No, I, I like that. And I, and I like the idea of being able to give, obviously, the positive. Um, I mean, we can go, I mean... With MS, it can be negative, negative. Our thoughts can, you know, plague us with negativity. So I think, you know, standing on the positive, the positive, and if there are things that are that are out, that are coming out, that are in study, that we can focus on that, that it is, it is inflammatory, and that we can slow that down, I think is is really important that we focus on that rather than okay, I was diagnosed now, I now I'm in primary, now I'm in secondary. There's no hope now. Because, I mean, I know what, what you've seen. It's got to be close to what I've seen. I've seen some incredible breakthroughs with my secondary, um, I was going to call them patients, but I'm not a doctor. I just forgot for a minute. Um, but with my clients that I'm like, oh, you're, doing, you're doing amazing. And I hope that you see that. And um, sometimes there can be just such deep depression with that and um, without seeing the positive things that are happening. Yeah. And, and by the way, I didn't mean to be pessimistic, even if it is something like mitochondrial failure or some other form of degeneration, there may be, you know, other potential treatments that would treat that aspect of it, just not, you know, these Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitors. You sure. know, it may be that someone with progressive MS needs like three different things plus lifestyle. Maybe they have to have a healthy diet, exercise, plus take something to block the smoldering inflammation and maybe sure. in the future, some neuroprotective agent as well. Now, what are your thoughts as far as, um, I've heard a lot in the last, again, the last year, two years about reaching a certain age. And then we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but then getting off all medications because they are slowing down. They are not needing something as strong as Tysabri or Ogrevis or maybe anything anymore. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, this is a very, very controversial. I question. know that's why we uh, just ask you. You know, and uh, you know, if you ask different doctors, you you will get different responses, of course. So the theory here is that one, as you get older, you know, the risk of taking any medication may increase, particularly immunosuppressant medications. Mm -hmm. You know, the other is that the sort of natural history of MS is that there may be less inflammation as people get older. People just naturally make less new lesions and have less relapses. They may have progression, but it may not be as driven by the type of inflammation we're targeting with these drugs. You know, so weighing the risk benefit ratio, some people would say, you know, maybe you don't need to take medication. Let's say if you're over 60, you haven't had a relapse or a new MRI lesion in many years, or maybe you're taking medication and you're still having some progression. It doesn't really seem to be working for you. Maybe you should cut your losses and reduce your risk. Now, some people would strongly disagree with this. They would say, you know, it's, it's ageist to stop medication in someone just because they're older. After mm -hmm. all, some people who are older do still have relapses, and maybe there sure. is still a benefit to take these medications. And, you know, it could be up to you, the, the risk-to-benefit ratio. There was actually a study on this, a randomized trial called DISCO-MS, where they took people who are a little bit older, and they asked them, you know, do you, are you willing to be in the study? You'll be randomized to continue a treatment or to stop the treatment. And there was a slight difference in MRI outcomes, but not a huge difference in clinical outcomes. You know, so I would look at it, it was roughly similar, you know, it is relatively safe to stop medications for someone who's older, and has not had recent MRI lesions and relapses, you know, other people would strongly disagree with that. You know, personally, what I do feel more strongly about is, you know, when you look at certain drugs like Ocrevus in primary progressive multiple sclerosis, you know, this was actually proven to be effective in a randomized trial called the Oratorio study. Mm -hmm. However, in that study, the average age of people was in their early 40s, and many of those people did have gadolinium enhancing lesions, and they excluded people over age 55. And the benefit of the medication was relatively modest. I believe it was a 21% reduction in disability progression compared to placebo. So it wasn't a home run. It was modestly effective, and it certainly has risks of weakening the immune system. Now, let's say someone is 65, and they right. haven't had an active lesion or relapse in many years. Maybe they've had recent infection. You know, I think the, the benefit of that medication versus the risk is very dubious in certain situations and certainly not evidence-based. And uh, in my clinical experience, I've, I've seen many, many people get burned badly. You know, so if, you're, if it's your ambition to take like a powerful immunosuppressant, you know, really think carefully about that if you're someone who would be higher risk of getting infections. Sure. Absolutely. No, that makes sense to me. I know that I've seen that as well, that people in their 60s, 70s, still on something like that, end up in the hospital with just a really bad infection. So yeah, I, I would say, so if you've got a patient 65, 70, and they're coming to you with secondary progressive, your first thing would not be well, to put them on. You know, it depends. I mean, I can't give like an algorithm, you know, if someone right. was 65 and they're newly diagnosed and they're rapidly getting worse and they have, you know, active lesions. I, I mean, I think it's very reasonable. I mean, sure. obviously there's no evidence for it, but you know, it's something to consider. You sure. know, I'm, I'm talking about someone who hasn't really had signs of active inflammation, has had the disease for many years, maybe has had progression despite taking these medications. You know, that person may not be the best candidate.
Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you for clarifying that one because I know that's been a big question. As far as um, where you are now in California, I, I already know so many that are going to you. So let's say we've got somebody in a different state that wants to be able to um, to see you. How does that work? Is that, are they able? I get that question so many times. So I can't imagine how many voicemails come to you because every time, you know, I'm in Michigan. So I get so many questions. Is there a way we, I'm like, I, you have to call his office. I, I'm not, I don't work with him. I don't. So um, is there a way that people can see you? If they don't live near you, they live in a different state. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you can't. You know, I'm not <laughs> doing this to try to recruit patients. You know, I have a California medical license. Yes. And you know, I I work uh, for an HMO called Kaiser Permanente. And no, you did not against, ask me to say this. this yeah, is it would just be against people. my contract to treat patients outside of. of you know, so unfortunately, I, I cannot help you personally. If you happen yes. to be a Kaiser member, you know, you can ask your neurologist to refer to me. I'd be yeah. happy to give you advice. But generally speaking, I unfortunately can't can't give you personal advice. You just have to go move to where Dr. Bieber is. That's your but, best. You know, there are other very qualified neurologists, hopefully close to where you live. Yeah. So I'm not the only one. Yeah, for sure. And we really always appreciate it. It's always, um, it's just a very, it's it's very wonderful to have you on and your YouTube videos. Um, you know, we've seen them done by different doctors and you can tell that um, they are just want to be YouTube stars. And um, we really appreciate when you do yours. And I hear that from a, a, just a lot of people that a lot of um, MS patients and a lot of people that just really appreciate the stuff that you put out because it really is um, extremely helpful. And um, we, we may have to listen to it 40 times to understand what you're saying. However, it is, um, it's, it's fun when you do the games. Today was really fun. Um, and I, we just really appreciate all of the things that you bring to us that you bring informational to us, especially during the pandemic, not that it's over yet, but hopefully soon. Um, we really appreciate all of the things that you brought to us when we were stuck in our homes and couldn't leave and just bringing so many things to us that, um, you know, that we didn't know a lot of that we thought we may have known, but didn't really. And, um, and those were so important. And, you know, just to have someone in our corner that we can say, you know, this doctor is really fighting for us is um, is a big thing when we have this crazy disease that we don't know if it's going left, right, center. We just don't know what's happening. So it is um, it, it is a big deal. And, and I want you to know how much so many of us deeply appreciate you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I enjoy making the videos. And if anyone has a video suggestion, you can post it a comment and I'll take a look at it. I do write them down. You know, I can't say I make every single suggestion into a video, but I may many months later. That's awesome. I would, um, I would love for you to do one on the different kinds of exercising and if running or one of them is too harsh or, um, I, I love that because I have people all the time asking like, you know, can I go, can I do this? Can I body build? Can I do this? Can I, um, can I go like rock climbing? Can I jump? I'm like, oh, um, I, I ask your doctor on that one. So um, I think that would be kind of funny. So I just, I think like, can I jump off? I don't know. Can I, can I die? Can I jump off the plane? Is that, I'm like, that to me would be a lot of vertigo, but hey, you know, if you want to do that, go for it. 
So um, I mean, that's just my personal thing, but um, I'm sure I'll, you'll have a lot of questions from this, but we do really, I do think that you need a cleaning lady in there. I'm just seeing a lot of different <laughs> bags. And so, no, I'm just kidding because when I have my um, marketing person, she'll look at this, not care about the podcast and see everything I have out and then call me and say, you need to clean this up before the next time. So um, I'm just teasing you, giving you a hard time. So I, again, I deeply appreciate you being on this. And again, I'm, I really want my husband to move into California so I can be your patient, but um, I do really respect you and thank you again for doing this. Well, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. I look forward to your, um, your next, whatever you're going to have on next Wednesday. I always do. I always look forward to what is he going to have? What, what are we going to talk about this Wednesday? So um, again, I appreciate it. I appreciate you answering my crazy questions. And I know my listeners will be excited about those and um, really look forward to, um, to the next time. And so I'm going to say to our listeners, so be with me for a second. So guys, if you've got any questions, again, feel free to email. I'll have a link at the bottom of, of this podcast on what we talked about and some of the studies. So feel free to take a look and feel free again to always rate the podcast with a 5-0. Thank you. And, um, and go ahead and give me, as well as Dr. Bieber, what you'd like to see for him as far as his YouTube videos. And I don't do YouTube videos. I do YouTube podcasts and YouTube workout things. So always, again, um, give me those. And don't forget to rate the podcast. And can't wait to see you guys again. Have a great day. Talk to you guys later. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Move It or Lose It podcast, where you can again find us wherever you like your podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, join us on that. And we can't wait to see you again. We're going to have a lot of exciting guests and working together. And as always, you'll hear us say at the end of every podcast, we are stronger together. So let's do it. Let's become stronger together. Have a great day. Hey.